welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Francis. This is, uh, I think, going to be very useful for both aspiring entrepreneurs as well as existing entrepreneurs. This podcast is going to talk to some fantastic business people and give some insight and hopefully inspiration from their stories. Today's guest and my first guest on this podcast is Sujayat Ali. Sujayat Ali is currently the co-founder and COO of ShopUp. ShopUp is the largest and most valued startup of Bangladesh. It is modeled after Alibaba and focuses on B2B commerce, logistics, and fintech. Sujayat previously co-founded Vunik and was its CEO. Vunik was India's leading brand for value and mid-price fashion. Vunik merged with ShopUp. Before Vunik, Sujayath worked at Amazon and Visa. He holds an MBA from the Indian School of Business and also a bachelor's degree in computer science engineering. Welcome to the podcast, Sujayath Ali. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I think the, the key point about this podcast is to try and give over uh, insights and learnings from people's entrepreneurial journeys. And I think a good place to start is right at the beginning, before even your professional background, with a little about your origin story, if you like, a little about, you know, uh, your your background and upbringing. Sure. So I come from a small town in South uh, India, from Tamil Nadu. So, uh, yeah, so uh, very uneven, full kind of a childhood. As everybody in Tamil Nadu, my dream was also to become a computer engineer, a software engineer. Uh, so uh, yeah, so uh, went into that, uh, did my uh, software engineering. And then like, uh, yeah, so post that I started working as a software programmer. At least at that point of time, mostly during my childhood, that was my dream. My dad, my relatives, everybody were government employees. So entrepreneurship was uh, very, very uh, remote to me. It was very alien to me. I forget about entrepreneurship. I did not even know any entrepreneurship. Yeah. Everybody in my family, everybody in my external family, they were all government employees. Uh, their goal was to, uh, even when I joined a private company, they were a bit reluctant. Like, is it safe? Why don't we take up something in government where job safety is there, right? That's the thought process uh, in my family before I, uh, before I kind of started uh, exploring myself uh, again coming from a small town like the awareness is very limited when i started interacting with other people uh, when my uh, outlook changed uh, i mean like life took me in many different directions so do you would you say that um your own mindset was shaped a little by that in the sense that entrepreneurship if anything had somewhat of a negative connotation associated with it yeah, it is. So I I have been told stories about uh, business people going down just one bad deal and uh, they get into debt, uh, the fluctuations in terms of income, not having steady income, um, uh, the stress that it causes. So most of the stories I heard during my childhood uh, were pretty negative about uh, entrepreneurship. So at that stage, it was far from your mind uh, to to even consider running your own business, owning your own company. Right then, the goal was work for some large organization, ideally yeah. multinational. Exactly. So I, I went into a multinational and that was like my dream come true. Like whatever I wanted, uh, I got it. And uh, yeah, so I think that, that was pretty much my dream. Like I remember even during my eighth grade, there was a time when somebody visited my school and asked me what my wish uh, ambition was. And I remember telling him that I wanted to become a software engineer in a, a multinational company. Like pretty much that was, that was my bar at the time. And uh, after your bachelor's, did you immediately start working for a fairly large company? Did you get picked up from, from university? Yes. yes. So I, you know, I'm not that academically brilliant. In fact, like uh, I had to thank I think, someone. I think you do yourself a disservice there. So, in fact, like to get the seat in the engineering seat uh, in South India, there were few reservations at that time, which don't have uh, we don't have today. Like there was a village quota for people coming from small towns. So I studied in a village school. So through that, I got into engineering. 
so i always had some sort of uh, kind of thinking i was not very confident right i had some i wouldn't call it inferiority complex but a bit of that uh, but getting a job from the campus in the first few days gave me a lot of confidence and uh, i think i think uh, when i went to the job also like whatever i did i worked only for two and a half years before going for my mba but that two and a half years i would say was the period which gave me immense confidence uh, it allowed me to kind of uh, explore what is possible and kind of uh, do things which i did later in life so what kind of things were you working on then and and what led to you maybe uh, thinking about doing an mba yeah so in my life you will see this like every step i will guess what i am going to do mostly i will be wrong so when i went for my engineering there were people who went for cat and iim uh, b schools and i used to make fun of them saying uh, we have already studied for four years and the real education is only whatever we get on the job mm-hmm. and i to make fun of them saying why why they are going to waste another two years getting some uh, either masters in science or management degrees uh, i never imagine like two years later i will be doing the same thing and that that uh, pattern will repeat in my life every time like i used to make fun like same thing happened at isb like i i always made fun of people who wanted to start up because i thought like then why did they come for isb like, they could have directly started up use that capital and time to uh, do things but then i myself ended up starting up so same pattern so when i went uh, into uh, my first job uh my my aim was to uh, uh progress as fast as possible in the career ladder and uh, uh so yeah so i think again like i i worked in uh, some of the technologies which are probably very uh which will sound very earlier now like i was working on mainframe technologies like oh right uh, there were programming languages like uh, jcl cics I, i don't know i don't think a lot of people will know those uh, today but i i work work primarily on the trading systems uh, i mean like the stock market and uh, trading and settlement systems which were uh, predominantly in mainframe so most of i mean i worked only for two years in programming but most of my uh, work was in mainframes so were you would you class yourself largely as uh, technically oriented rather than at that stage at least uh, management oriented yes Yeah. Yes, I I had a lot of interest in technology. So even though I worked in mainframe, I took up a lot of side projects in Java and web technologies. I always had that keen. Um, uh, I was always keen towards tech, understanding what's happening new. Uh, so I always considered myself as a tech player. Yeah, and and was this around about the time, I guess, of the early two thousands, where you know the tech boom was. Yeah. blasting and then of course as we know uh, the bubble burst but um, this between yeah 2002 and 2004 that's the period when i was working in software yeah yeah okay so so what um, what led to you deciding to halt that and go for the go for the mba were you at that stage thinking of uh, just advancing your career again within within a company or were you were you looking for uh, beginning to consider entrepreneurship as a career path No. so at that time uh, it was for advancement of my career so i i did well in the first two years as i said it gave me a lot of confidence uh, coming from uh, not like tier 1 engineering college or coming from a small town I was not very confident of myself but the work i did in the two years uh, i got promoted i was in just two years i was leading two teams um, and um, that time like uh, i couldn't progress further because i was told like to get to the next level i need to have few more years of experience i need to spend that yeah. and when i noticed other people who were getting those kind of jobs they were from iims and other colleges so i thought getting a degree uh, a management degree would help me pro- progress faster because pretty much i thought the next 3 years are going to be stagnant uh, right. in the role that i was in uh, before i can proceed to the next uh, level and i thought maybe my mba would be a shortcut uh, towards that and and did that did that prove to be the case it did right so even though i did not go back to my uh, previous organization i did end up joining amazon 
right. but um, but like like yeah so work wise uh, salary wise like everywhere so salary pretty much I would say like went up by 3x in one year. I don't think that would have happened. That's a pretty decent uh, ROI, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely. And of course, adding Amazon to the uh, to the resume has to have been good as well. Yeah, yeah it is. like So I, um, I mean, like then Amazon is where I, again, like I got these dreams of entrepreneurship, right? Before Amazon, I was, uh, as I said, pretty much wanted to focus on career and uh, kind of build myself into a tech tech career path right but uh, but yeah so at that time i did not expect that i don't think even at isb people were aware so about amazon and i remember there were only 25 people who applied out of 270 people so really that was very that's, that's <laughs> unthinkable now isn't it uh, with what amazon time, you know, has become especially over the last few years but I mean, yeah. going go, thinking on the Amazon experience, um, obviously it would give you a lot of confidence working for what has become one of the world's most famous companies and world's largest companies. Did you um, take a lot from that experience in in terms of cutting edge technology and know, knowing what the latest trends were technology wise? So I think technology wise, yes, but more than technology, I think culture wise. The DNA wise, uh, there were a lot of learnings. In fact, like when uh, people from my team came up, out uh, and started Flipkart, uh, the difference was like there were a lot of e-commerce companies even before that, right? The difference was getting that customer DNA, working backwards from the customers, what we call it Amazon, right? That was like the biggest takeaway. Like, how do we build a company? How do we build a culture which always thinks customer first, right? That was pretty revealing to me, right? When you, I, I would say, yes, tech-wise, and also the overall tech culture. What does it mean? It's not exact tech per, technology per se, but the tech culture. How how that culture is built. How uh, what is incentivized. How you recruit the best minds. How do you identify those uh, best talents? And how do you uh, make them work with each other because the biggest uh, issue is like if you go and get the best tech minds, most of them are individual contributors. They are not team players. So, uh, so I would say a lot of soft learnings than just a tech technology type of learning. So you you were taking um, quite a lot of uh, insights from seeing the management and the policy type of structures that were put in place at Amazon, and and that helped you envisage a good good ways to run a company even though at that stage you were not uh yet considering your own venture yeah so so see the actual projects that i worked within amazon were not very big successes they were mostly like research kind of projects and they were mostly ahead of time in fact like today we are talking about blockchain the product that i was working on back in 2005 was something similar we were trying to create uh, uh, money that is uh, that can be programmed, right? And it was very ahead of the market. So I wouldn't say I learned in terms of the business success, how do we build a very successful product, right? Within Amazon, there were a lot of other uh, business units which exploded. Uh, so, so I was initially part of AWS, right? At that time, uh, we were probably building the first version of Amazon Web Services, but I was working on the payment web services, which didn't pick up as much as, let's say, S3 or uh, uh, computing, right? So, uh, so I, so it's not like the business results gave me confidence, and I felt like if I if I could do this at Amazon, I could do it outside, right? Uh, it was more about, uh, as I said, that uh, that how do we build these building blocks? How do we uh, attract people how do we create these teams how do we create a culture which values customer right those 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 are my takeaways so was amazon before or after visa amazon was before so after isb i was uh, i worked at amazon okay and okay. post i worked at visa for uh, it, visa was a very short stint like i would say like 18 months okay uh, before returning to india and starting my own company Okay, so having worked for 
Amazon straight out of uh, after MBA and then working for Visa, both uh, enormous companies. Um, what led to you deciding to go on your own and, and also what gave you the confidence that you could do this? Yeah, so see, when I started at Amazon, initially I, I did a lot of mistakes and I wouldn't say, um, like unlike my programming job where I was uh, doing a very good job from day zero. In Amazon, my first year or first couple of years were, uh, were not so good. I did a lot of mistakes, but uh, I work, ended up pretty much like working for almost seven years at Amazon. The last three, four years uh, gave me a lot of confidence in my execution capabilities. And uh, after coming to Visa, like I, I was very confident that if something goes bad, I can always land a job. But I, I, I saw like people who worked with me at Amazon most of them, like the earlier team who were with me at 2005, went on to start some very good companies. They were shaping up India's startup scene or they were creating it, right? Like before them, there was no Indian startup scene, whether it's Sachin and Bini uh, who started Flipkart, uh, whether it's uh, Infibeam, whether it's Gaurav who started Bluestone, like pretty much uh, Sanjay Suri, who at the time had his own startup, then he became like City or Naika, like pretty much. I think there were some 25, 30 members. Everybody were doing something on their own. So I, I felt left out. Like I was in US as well, right? So they, are, they were all in India. I moved to US after a couple of years at Amazon. Uh, so I felt like this. I also need to at least uh, take a try. And uh, if, if something bad happens, if I fail, I can always... Uh, join again like i can always come back to job i was very confident that getting a job is not going to be difficult and i was also sure like my resume will be like actually be better if we have some entrepreneurship uh, on the resume right so you, you can imagine like at that point of time i'm still thinking uh, from the job standpoint i think still thinking like a traditional employee i'm and and i felt like i can just do the same thing but on my own for a couple of years and then if something bad happens i can come back uh, given that like i moved to us pretty early like financially also i was a bit well off i had some savings which i can which can sustain me for a couple of years uh, and i can also invest few in my company so uh, so that again like gave me confidence in fact even some of our isb batchmates had become entrepreneurs i met them like when i was in us so all of when i, when I say it's it's more like fear of missing out right fomo yeah like all of these guys are doing like why, why can't i also try it <laughs> So you, I mean, the, the 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 key thinking there was that you you had something of a safety net financially. So uh, I mean, at that stage, were you were you already married, had kids and stuff, or or were you on your own? At that? I was married with a kid. Yeah, I was married with a kid. But but as it financially, I was I felt I was safe. I yeah. can go on for years. And and you had the confidence that you know if if things went went south. Then you you were okay. You hadn't burnt bridges with any other companies. You could go back or, or go to another one. Yeah, yeah. So, that gave me confidence. Excellent. So so this then brings us towards the beginnings of Vunik, and um, you know uh, that was certainly for for me having known you at uh, at, at ISB uh, an unusual one to find you know a hardcore uh, techie <laughs> going into the fashion business. What well, tell me how that happened. Yeah. So I think also, also before that, the reason I was uh, talking about my job uh, and my upbringing is because to give one uh, advice to aspiring entrepreneurs that entrepreneurs are not different people, right? I come from a background where there are no entrepreneurs. Um, I was always a career focused person. I all, I never worked in startup. I always worked in MNCs, right? I, I I am I would look like like 80 90 percentage of the guys who are afraid of entrepreneurship right by themselves so I don't think there is any characteristics or DNA or any special skills that makes or differentiates an entrepreneur from a traditional worker right it's just a flip you you take the plunge and then you will I think I think anybody can do that right it's not like you need to have something special in you 
So you don't subscribe to this idea that um, entrepreneurs uh, are born and not made. They're very much made. Yeah, they made are. I mean, like they can also take a plunge and then they can shape themselves, right? Like yeah. me, I, yeah. I I was never an entrepreneur. I didn't have any uh, entrepreneurs to back me up or to uh, advise me. Yeah, uh, I learned everything on my own, and uh, all my experience has been in MNCs. And I said it's not like. I wouldn't say uh, I had anything uh, in my skill sets. Uh, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself as academically brilliant. I wouldn't call myself as street smart. I am an introvert. I don't have people skills, right? So I am like a traditional engineer who you would see right. uh, in India, right? And the only difference is I took the plunge, and that's okay. all it that matters. Anybody yeah. who takes the plunge. Coming back to your question. So the idea was at that point of time in US, uh, there was uh, a wave of uh, subscription uh, commerce companies coming up, what we call the subscription economies, right? None of those companies exist today, but uh, that was called as e-commerce 2.0 wave. There were companies like Fab, which became like a billion dollar, which became the fastest uh, unicorn, uh, right? They became went to billion dollars so fast. Uh, there were there was Groupon, um, there were fashion companies like Shoe Dazzle, Bombfell, Stitch Fix, right? So, and mostly they were trying to uh, instead of people picking their own choices, they were trying to um, um, kind of use technology towards that. Right? Basically, the idea is that we create an online assistant, uh, buying assistant for you, purchase assistant which will understand you and help you pick the right uh, uh, clothing or right accessories, right? So it was still, if you see the original idea, it was pretty much a tech play. I didn't consider it as a fashion play. The idea was we will use uh, AIML, uh, understand the browsing behavior of users, uh, have stylists create algorithms on uh, what will suit a given skin tone, uh, 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 personality, etc. Like so, so it was it was uh, pretty much a tech idea. But the idea was like, if this this is going to be free service, like if somebody is going to give you personal styling service for free, why would you not take it up? Right. And uh, again, that was another lesson, right? Like for me, that idea sounded like a billion dollar idea, but in reality, that was not such a great idea. So always, I think for entrepreneurs, their idea will sound like that. But you will only know like when you execute and see, right? But at that time, it was a tech play. I was confident in confident in tech, uh, so I thought like I would be able to build this. That's how uh, uh, we started Monik. So, so the yeah, I mean, you came at it from a technical perspective, realizing that um, a kind of recommendation algorithm was something that could be built based upon, like you say, artificial intelligence yeah. and machine learning. Um, and did you do anything to kind of um, assess what the what the market would think of that, or did you just take this from your own uh, your own feeling that it would be useful to you and you know some uh, group of friends that you had spoken to or something like that? Yeah, it, it's the latter. I, I I thought it's a problem for me. I didn't know how to buy uh, right dress for me, and I just thought like. Uh, uh, there will be a lot of other people who will uh, feel like me and uh, i didn't do much research i didn't do look at the market i didn't do any uh, customer interviews i just uh, plunged into that but, so that's awesome so this you, you had a co-founder right uh, that you were starting with i mean what were the early days like of vunik did you uh, did you sort of self fund initially Yes. So as I said, I had some funds, so I funded it initially for the first year. Um, my co-founder and I are uh, classmates from my UG, so we are, we are friends. And uh, we took a small place in Chennai. It was like 10,000 rupees uh, per month kind of rent. Uh, and in fact, that office had two startups before us, and both are now unicorns, like wow. Freshdesk. And after Freshdesk, when Freshdesk got serious and moved out, that office was handed over to Charge B. And when Charge B got Series A and moved out, we took it from them. So uh, you were blessed from the beginning. 
<laughs> yeah so those all gave us confidence right like hey see freshers they went on they became a unicorn like see charge we they were able to raise fund and go move on uh, it, it should it, we for some reason i thought i will never fail somehow like i thought like it will be taken care of right so i think i think so we started in a very small place 10000 rupees uh, probably like 500 square feet kind of an office and um, got couple more people uh, engineers to help us and a couple of stylists part time uh, and just just got started and uh, we just built it first built the product okay uh, it took probably 6 uh, months for us around like or 4 5 months we were ready with the product and only when we launched we figured out like there were no takers and uh, we were scratching our head like what to do next yeah i mean on, on that side of things clearly you 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 mentioned that you had not at that stage done you know market research and and so on you decided it was a good idea it would be useful to you and others like you um and and built it and at the end of the 6 months i mean what was the, what was the plan for for launch and uh you know uh, pre launch marketing how how did you handle that kind of thing so that you wouldn't meet a dead end when you actually released so, yeah. like it was it was very naive thought like even today a lot of entrepreneurs think like that for us uh, just gtm was paid marketing right we said once the product is ready we will just spend money on facebook google and we will get customers it was as simple as that that's what we did we just got the product right and then we just advertised it facebook and uh, we started getting customers right okay so again it's paid advertising was medium but that's how naive at least i was at the time okay but the thing is things moved on pretty quickly from then right i mean uh, obviously vunic uh, scaled uh, at a rapid rate of not so how did you get from that position to really really ramping up quite quickly so i think uh, first we got our seed funding uh, of uh, close to 500k so so what happened was like because i came from us i did not have any connections with this investors this vcs yeah so uh, i participated in a television program uh, called bluebird pitch and uh, it had like prominent angels as the judges there and whoever wins that it's like a reality show it's like big boss yeah. for other people uh, so whoever wins that will get the seat check of uh, uh, i think close to 500k and uh, i ended up winning that show and that's, that's how i got my uh, <laughs> 500k so once you have the money i think um is all i'm not recommending this right but that's what we did we just put that money on the problem again right we hired people uh, we spent more on marketing and as we kept dialing up our marketing spend we kept getting more users and uh, more customers and we were focusing on uh, how do we um, how do we um, uh, scale from there like you know at the point of time we were not doing operations ourselves we just tied up with the uh, e-commerce portals at that time like jabong and uh, Uh, at that time, there were companies like Fashionara, Zobi, etc., like Snapdeal. We tied up with all of them, and we created technology again, which will route the orders to them. Like, so I did not do the operations myself, so it was easy for me to keep scaling. Uh, just the demand part. Right. Um, so at at the time, the you could go to the retailers and say, "Look, we've got a we've got a product that will help drive business towards you," and then you had some kind of deal with them, did you? Correct. So I was getting a commission out of that. Like, uh, I didn't directly go to the sellers. I went to the portals, right? The e-commerce portals, which were existing at that point of time. Yeah. Because I thought, like, my uh, my uh, forte is tech, so let me just focus on tech. Yeah. So I think, uh, long story short, that did not work out. What ended up happening was uh, we raised our Series A from Sequoia, and uh, when we raised the money, like, we figured out this model is not going to scale. So we pretty much pivoted into uh, uh fashion for mid market right the idea was like to buy fashion um, for branded goods like you had mintra which provided a very good experience filter search uh, good pictures but if you want to buy unbranded items like sarees chudidars etc you go to uh, horizontal companies like amazon flipkart where the experience is 
very generic. You get the same experience for fashion like you get for electronics. So we figured out like, uh, what if we build Mintra for unbrand? Now, the reason that is interesting for us is, the reason why Mintra is able to get that experience is, they are working with big brands who has all this data organized. So they give you proper pictures, uh, proper data, what is the color, what is the hemline, what is the color pattern, everything. So it's very easy to feed the data and enable uh, search, filters, uh, recommendations, etc. The reason why it is not like that in an Amazon or a Flipkart is because these sellers are very small sellers from Surat and uh, Jaipur, etc. They don't give data. And even if they give data, it's not standardized. So pretty much it's garbage in, garbage out. And our idea was that because we already had this AIML tech, which can use, uh, which can, which doesn't need this data from the seller, it can generate its own data. What is the color? What is the color type? What is the, uh, what is the sleeve length, hemline? Everything, image recognition tech will create. Then I have as much data as Mintra to provide the same level of experience. So I think that's why it was still a tech play for us, and we thought like we could do that, which uh, let's say an Amazon or a Mintra cannot do, and uh, that worked out very well. So after our Series A. Uh, during series a we were doing around one crore a month in terms of our sales and uh, in a matter of like 15 months we went to like almost 65 70 crores a month so we scaled up uh, pretty fast That's huge. Uh, after the day and uh, uh, yeah so and that time we also moved to have our own sellers basically we became a marketplace earlier we were we were an affiliate business by partnering with other retailers then but we decided like uh, for us to have control it's better for us to uh, become our own marketplace and it was easy so uh, supply always comes when demand is there because we had demand one fine day we just switched off uh, other uh, partners and uh, asked the sellers to come on board directly which they did and uh, it, it was it was very smooth transition at least at that standpoint so were you um, were you doing the fulfillment yourself as well, or or was this uh, okay, via the sellers? So once we became a marketplace, so we we did not take inventory. So it was directly shipped by the sellers. Yeah. But again, we created orchestration tech, which would enforce that seller ship on time, and okay. uh, which will enforce some quality check. And it will work with other delivery providers like Ecom Express delivery, yeah. uh, those of uh, delivery partners. So it was the tech was orchestrating all of that, but yeah. we did not do have our own courier service. Uh, we did not have our own inventory. We did not. Okay, all right, interesting. So um, from that position, then where you kind of pivoted, I mean. Firstly, in terms of the pivot and the agility in spotting when a pivot is required, um, would that be one of the uh, the key factors, would you say, uh, in running a business, uh, knowing when to yeah. change direction a little it bit is. with the business model? It is, right? So I think in 99% of the cases, the idea that you start with, the product that you start with will be a wrong product. And I think the journey is about taking the feedback loop and keep iterating to get to a product which makes sense for the customer, right? I think I think that's that's pretty much the entrepreneurship journey. And uh, that's, that's the journey even I had to go through to figure out like, okay, finally, could I have got that idea like back in 2013 when I started? Probably not, right? I need to go through that journey to figure that, like this is what probably we need to build. Okay, amazing. So. It's now probably a good time to to think about um, the the role of funding and how that changes the the running of the business. So you mentioned that you did this uh, pivot after um, after a, a Series A funding, uh, and that's partially what allowed you to do that. Um, in your eyes, in in running the business, how did the dynamics of running the business change once you had acquired? funding external funding so our business again i'm not recommending this it was a wrong way to build 
but it was always built with the assumption that we will get funding so from day zero even when it was self funded i was running it like a uh, vc funded company yeah so which means it required high burn uh, you need to invest a lot up front you need to have uh, spend a lot on quality team members even before you start generating revenue so at least for me uh, after funding it just uh, i just accelerated on those aspects right so my burn increased like all of these are mistakes obviously that's why uh, unique was not a success right so then so we just accelerated spending we did television advertisements we did uh, uh, we did we, we did we, we increased our spending on facebook google um uh, we we ended up getting a lot of people we were very very um, as an organization we had so many people right to uh, uh, which which ended up creating a lot of issues as well so uh, but but uh, the truth is like I, it was built like that from day zero even when it was self funded because for this idea to work uh, it, it, this cannot be built in a self funding way obviously like i have been proven wrong but that was my thought process at the point of time that this cannot be built in a self funding way these are the type of blitz scaling businesses which need funding and so it, it, for just uh, sorry to interrupt but it, the reason yeah. for that is because you anticipate that the um the requirement for strong growth supersedes that of um profitable growth at that point in the journey is that right Yes, there are a couple of reasons, right? One, obviously, it's a market share game. There are going to be one or two winners. There are not going to be five or six winners. So, for you to be that top one or two, you need to outspend the competition. Again, I'm not saying these are the right theories; these are incorrect. But that was my thought process at that time. That you need to outspend all this uh, competition, and you need to. Burn money for ten, twenty years before you become profitable. And we look at companies like Amazon, who, who, who was like uh, not making good margin, who was thinking like your margin is my opportunity kind of thought process. Yeah. So that's 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 one reason that it's a market share game. Uh, only one or two winners are going to emerge. It's the last man standing game. The second, uh, yeah, the second reason is like. We we did not know how this business is going to ever become profitable. It's like airlines. So if you ask me to write in paper, like tell me, even unit wise, how will you be profitable? I, I didn't know the answer. So it was for us a way to figure out. We said like we will figure these out as we proceed. We will keep incremental like how incrementally we are figuring out product market fit. We will. incrementally also figure out the profitability piece right so to do that there should be somebody who is uh, sponsoring our burn until we figure that piece out and become profitable so again i am not proud of all of these things but that was my thought process at that time and and i mean in fairness uh, during the dot com bubble i guess i mean there were crazy valuations going on for companies that didn't look like they were ever going to make any profit and eventually obviously the market uh, caught up with that do you think that that is a a recurring theme that eventually profit comes back into fashion i, I think it's uh, it's for a, for a market it cycles there will be cycle where people will be like uh, there will be crazy valuations and there will be a cycle where people will go after profitability so see the part is a market or an investor can sustain that because they make so many bets and they change their strategy depending upon the market but as a founder i i have only one bet and uh, if i make the wrong bet like my entire uh, life is gone right like i have just done this one thing for my entire life and my entire legacy is gone it's all tied to that one idea so i don't think we should think like that in terms of cycles like is there a prof it like you can be a profitable small company like you you can do that like i i, I can build a business right but uh, that's not why we start up like we want to build something which will make a dent uh, which will be our legacy yes if i have to make money uh, i think there are a lot of ways 
for me to build a small business which is self funded and which can even make decent money right to uh, give me a very good lifestyle right but that i could have even got by continuing working at amazon amazon shares went up like it's, it's, it's not about that right it's about how to making that dent creating that legacy for ourselves and uh, that's where uh, we have to balance these two part right the growth and the profitability piece so it's, it's not either or right so today everybody will say it's all profitability tomorrow everybody will say it's uh, growth uh, but but the answer is like in balancing this absolutely and and when it comes to that piece uh, going through various of the rounds of which will have involved presumably a lot of discussions with the senior management with the uh, with the venture teams um did you find uh, that there was going to be value over and beyond the uh, just the the actual funding was there you know uh, improved networking opportunities and other elements that made funding the most sensible option Yes. Again, like coming from a MNC background, right? I was not, I was not a typical entrepreneur, right? I didn't want to go through tough situations. I didn't want to go and arrange money to pay salaries. Uh, I didn't want to like go and ask for debt uh, to run the business, etc. Right? So I'm not. I was not prepared for those things, which eventually ended up doing all of those. But at least. So for me, having a VC who will give me a peace of mind, who will not uh, push me too much, who will not, uh, who will not interfere too much in my decisions, who will be very professional. Let's say I lose their money. Uh, these people should be should not be taking that personally because it's all like we are all trying to figure out something together. At the end of the day, like. my ownership in vodic was much lesser than let's say the investors so uh, so i wanted somebody who are professional like basically you can say like how i was looking for a mnc for my job i was looking for a mnc for vcs yeah. so that i will have such uh, basically i was not compromising on my lifestyle and quality of life right even when i work i wanted to have that freedom and that uh, and that uh, i want somebody to cut slack if i if i do something wrong and and that obviously worked out but um you had enormous growth and as you mentioned eventually you started to feel that things were uh, looking like a, a new way would be required so what led to um when when did you recognize that and what were the what were the signs so see now there was a, it it was a bit sad and as well right because two things were happening at the same time one after our series b uh, by that time like we had uh, almost raised 30 million plus uh, we were in the market for series c and while we were having those conversations uh, market was slightly becoming softened that like today right people were saying this is very high burn uh, this needs to be controlled uh, you have to become uh, there should be a path to profitability we were having those type of discussions then suddenly like demonetization happened right this was back in 2016 and that again i made few decisions which were probably not the right decisions or or maybe i don't know right but which kind of increase my burn a lot so basically what happens was just to give an example like our top categories were shoes at the point of time i was selling more pair of shoes than amazon so now every shoe is and it's a mid market shoe right it's only 500 rupees now when i to ship a 500 rupee shoe i end up paying almost 100 to 125 rupees in shipping because it's a bulky it and if the customer doesn't accept it it's all cod orders cash on delivery to bring it back i have to pay another 125 rupees yeah so when a shoe comes back for a 500 rupee shoe i end up losing 250 rupees 
now all this is already figured out in our models and we are still like at the time we were becoming unit economics positive because things were running right when you suddenly stop like in demonetization now because it's cash on delivery customers did not have cash all the issues we are talking about like hundreds of thousands coming back and now either i have to bear that loss or i have to pass it to the seller and if i pass it to the seller the seller will pretty much like uh, lose his livelihood he is not in a position to take that hit and it was not his mistake he, I, i don't know whose mistake is that uh, so i ended up taking all those losses and so burn went up obviously because of this scale came down and uh, and it it was kind of negative cycle right and again the way how i had built my business model is you are you will be cash flow positive as long as you keep growing yeah the moment you degrow it's a death spiral but i never imagined an event like demonetization or something could happen and do that uh, again i don't want to blame demonetization as i said at that time there were other conversations also with uh, cdc investors which are not going well but to give an example right let's say my i was selling 100 shoes two months ago that bill i will be paying now because i will have two months uh, credit period today i will be selling 200 shoes so i will be getting 2x the revenue so i get 200 i pay 100 100 is with me as cash next when 200 becomes 400 i collect 400 i pay 200 200 cash is with me so even though i am not ebitda positive i can be cash flow positive now when you stop degrowth happens when 200 becomes 100 i collect 100 i have to pay 200 possible so where will this 100 rupee cash will come all this will never come in the pnr so uh, so then i i would say like my uh, struggling period started right from there and uh, we investors uh, obviously they couldn't uh, they will not be able to back up a business which is degrowing Uh, at the same time burning more money and there was a time when i had almost like 30 crore 5 million kind of a debt which was personally on me right. I, i didn't know how i was going to uh, overcome those and uh, again by uh, god's grace like i am pretty much okay now financially and uh, job wise as well like so but but at that time uh, we had to go through all of those uh, struggling phases right Um, yeah, we figure out things. And I, I yeah, I mean I think uh, a situation like that um where obviously it was just not it, it, no one could plan or imagine that an event like that would take place which fundamentally yeah. changed the dynamics of your um of your delivery essentially. Um and and led to this. So let's let's start on uh how the the merger began with your current organization. So- Yeah so as i said it was a very tough period there is no, no investor money coming in i mean few investors stood by me gave me some cash so that i can keep running the business we didn't see on paper we became profitable on a smaller scale but it was not of interest to investors uh, because uh, again like everybody is betting on becoming the number one player in the market yeah. they are not trying to fund a lifestyle business and the whole industry was going down it's not just as they were our entire competition went down like us it's not just owning at that time everybody were funded like 50 100 million right so every investor has burned their fingers so in fact like i mean we were by the time i had already raised almost 35 million still i was the lowest funded player in the industry like there were people who got like 100 million 75 million everybody went down all the investors burned their fingers so i was lucky to have some investors who knew that they are going to lose this money as well still they gave me some money to keep the business alive and uh, so i said i did become profitable but uh, it was not interesting for investors it was not interesting for me as i said if i had to make money i would have built a business in a very different way and i could uh, do that right so i wanted to still go after that uh, making a dent kind of a business 
so i wanted to do something else like and uh, uh, take all the learnings that i had in e-commerce and go and do something at the time i said india was going through this phase uh, and then there was a phase where it was again hyper funding was coming in so uh, i i want i was kind of looking at opportunities outside india we looked at indonesia we looked at vietnam we looked at bangladesh that's when uh, we came across shop up they uh, they were actually working with monik like we were supplying for them as well and they were buying from monik so uh, the the original founders of uh, shop up uh, they were pretty nice people like i always one of the values at monik is be nice right we wanted we want our people to be fundamentally nice like like we don't want to yell at people we don't want to shout we don't want a very negative experience right? we want to go through it as calm as we can and uh, they they had very similar dna and uh, it was uh, at the time they had only raised seed round it was before even series a while i did get offers from some of the unicorns to come and uh, get acquired by them um, I, i felt like uh, i i wanted to build the business from the ground up i wanted to be part of that and uh, this was the right stage and uh, we had common investors so so we decided like okay we will uh, use our learnings we will Uh, merge with shop up and uh, which which was like probably the best decision i could have made uh, today as i said uh, as you kind of said in the intro shop up is the biggest startup of bangladesh we have raised more than 200 million again based on my experience and learnings i don't want to go by fundraising but the good part is we are not burning money we are growing as organically as uh, possible and uh, uh like like i am not even giving a dime to facebook so all the learning sites so and uh, um yeah and and we we are doing pretty good uh, in 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 bangladesh like in in, in the commerce space uh, so overall overall things things turned out well fantastic uh, from a from an organizational perspective bringing the two companies together um you mentioned that there was some commonality in the basic uh, culture elements were there any challenges associated with bringing the two organizations together from an from a kind of workforce perspective yeah so obviously we are bringing together like teams from two different countries like i don't think uh, the indian engineers have experienced the bangladesh culture and uh, similarly like the way of working in bangladesh is very different from how it works in india so but but the part is as i said i give all the credit to the team like there was a dna match so uh, so we were able to work together we were able to uh, figure out things again i would see even shabab went through similar small pivots like like how demonetization happened in morning immediately after merger covid happened in shabab Yeah. So, and we were a fashion company like mostly dealing with cross border items borders were closed uh, fashion uh, items were not even allowed to uh, be uh, transported right so uh, it's but but uh, but luckily like uh, we we were able to figure things out very quickly and that i think is because like we brought this two ways of working together right and which means like we can work better than any indian company because we know this bangladesh part and we can work better than any bangladesh company because you know the indian part so we were able to figure things out and in fact like uh, the covid lockdown became a turning point for us rather than a setback yeah i mean with with covid and and obviously lockdowns online seemed to do amazingly well we all know how amazon's uh, uh, things improved massively from an already great position to basically unassailable um are you saying that a, a similar thing happened so, with you so covid forced us a pivot okay. we were dealing with apparel now apparel cannot be we cannot i mean like it's it's a lockdown right how can you ship an apparel so you were allowed to ship only essentials if you remember like during that lockdown yeah. period so we pivoted to essentials 
and nobody was willing to deliver those so we created our own logistics company so today the logistics company that we created redx is number one in bangladesh by far like number two player is like very very far behind and it started because of this reason today we are at the peak like our b2b commerce did like more than 1.2 billion like in sales and run rate right and there's no competition actually it's not even a second player so all these pivots were forced on us uh, because of covid so uh, and because it's covid obviously like uh, we were able to use it to reach out to this retailers because they couldn't source it from the market markets are closed so we became the way for them to source uh, our logistics uh, product got organic demand because nobody else was delivering in the lockdown areas so that's what i'm saying it became a kind of a turning point it became a, a, a springboard for us right very quickly we, we grew very fast and, um, and that that was because of that lockdown but there were the first couple of weeks of lockdown where we were just sitting and scratching our head saying like we are so unlucky uh, demonetization happening only like after shop immediately covid has happened maybe like uh, entrepreneurship is we are not meant for entrepreneurship we started thinking like that but in many ways it probably brings out the best in you though doesn't it because each time one of these incredible and unexpected problems comes along it forces you to rethink how you're going to do things and you come up with yeah. solutions exactly so because if not for covid we wouldn't have pivoted we wouldn't have gone into those areas right we might have but it would have taken its own time we wouldn't have got that much organic demand that we got uh and uh, yeah so so i think because in the first two weeks we didn't know how long will this lockdown uh, continue like is it going to come to a halt or what's going are things going to open up uh but uh, then like we just decided like let's assume lockdown is going to be forever let's see how to build a business and that was a good thought process for us to kind of build from there so so does this uh, do you export or is this for servicing primarily the the domestic market currently we are looking only at the domestic market as in bangladesh or india as well in bangladesh bangladesh okay so the the way this comes together then is that the uh, the technology and process came from vunik and the uh, the fulfillment and so on came from the bangladesh side. is that correct is that how the two the synergy uh, came together yeah so mostly mostly yes, right on the ground operations is happening in bangladesh yeah the tech correct uh, happens from the india side all right and so what what do you think now moving forward i mean uh, what's the what does the future look like i think as i said now we are in a we are in what i call as honeymoon period yeah uh, we raised a lot of money most of the money is in the bank uh, we are able to uh, i mean we did we still do mistakes I, i would say like if i make three decisions only one is right two are going to be wrong i have i have learned to live with that now i am more looking at like how can i uh, reduce the damage that will be caused by these other two decisions and how can i double up on the right decision right? so uh, we keep making wrong decisions but uh, luckily we have room for error uh, and uh, given the market scenario nobody is asking us to grow blindly uh, we can grow profitably with a path to profitability so so things are good we are in the honeymoon period and after the stress that i i had to go through for a year or two now probably i am a bit like in more of a relaxing cruising mode and uh, overall i feel like shop up will be like uh, what alibaba and tencent were to china and you will see like uh, how uh gojek and tokopedia uh, what they did in indonesia something similar we would be able to do uh, in bangladesh and other neighboring countries well that's amazing you you mentioned actually there about you know the stressful periods that you went through and i think that's a a common theme uh, with a lot of entrepreneurs the the some of the psychological roller coaster if you like of entrepreneurship um as well as that for the the founders mental health is becoming a, a, a big concern in the workplace how have you tried to uh 
accommodate those requirements within within the workforce yeah i think i think the first two months i took it very hardly look at the periods of december january like immediately after demonetization um, like i used to get up and sit in my bed at night morning 3 am 4 am because i i didn't know how i am going to pay the salary what is going to happen to the as i said there was almost 5 million plus in debt how i am going to handle the debt how i am going to settle that there was no way i couldn't see any uh, light at the end of the tunnel right i say it happened for a couple of months but then i was able to quickly recover one because i had a co-founder right it's not my problem alone yeah. i can always share it with him like it's 50% my problem 50% his problem so and given that we both are classmates and friends uh, we were able to quickly come out of it we even started joking about those things right and uh, we started taking things lightly and uh, and then like i forced myself to show up every day i will not feel like go to office right i want to just lie down and i see a lot of entrepreneurs go through that they just sit at home or they just uh, they don't want to show up they just uh, they don't want to meet people they don't want to do anything right uh, i forced myself to show up every day come to office right so the team gets the confidence when you are there and uh, and something we will figure out something so we will never know the answer but can we make one step in the right direction right yeah uh, so i think i think as a two months probably i was in that uh, negative zone but very quickly once i came out of it then i started thinking like a, again like an amazon employee right? what is the process what is the process to uh, solve these debts you go and speak to those people you give them a plan you give them so it's always that right like nobody is going to raise any issue like if you are in contact with them you give them a plan you tell them what you are doing uh, all our debt providers gave a lot of slack for me in terms of timeline in terms of uh, alternative options like primarily because i think we were able to we we were we were speaking to them we were always working with them we were always thinking everything as a problem the solution is a process and um, yeah so i think i think that helped so overall like i i uh, i always think the worst case scenario prepared myself for that and that also probably helped like what's the worst case that's going to be and this is what probably it will happen so i think i think that helped <coughs> so that gives a lot of courage i wouldn't call myself courageous when i began the entrepreneurship journey uh, but uh, i think those one or two years uh, gave a lot of courage today in shop up or in any place i can face any adverse situation i am not afraid anymore like uh, i i have become a new person right? i think i think that's what i said entrepreneurship entrepreneurs are made right probably i was made in that fire uh, which yeah. happened in that uh, in months so uh, but but at the end of the day it's all worth it today uh, i think uh, it, it, it it's all worth it that's what i would say will i I will never go back to doing a job again. I will never go back to being an employee. Yeah, I mean, yours is definitely a very inspiring story in that you didn't regard yourself as uh, uh, naturally blessed with entrepreneurial talents at the outset. Your background was such that um, you, uh, well, in any in many cases, entrepreneurship was kind of looked down upon compared to other alternative career paths. What would be your your advice to aspiring entrepreneurs um, based upon things like how important is uh, academics and you know whether they should consider entrepreneurship as a start. What would be your basic guidance to entrepreneurs in the making? So yeah, so as I said, there is no special breed called entrepreneurs, right? Uh, that doesn't mean like everybody can be entrepreneurs. What I'm saying is you don't know. only when you try it out you will know and i know of people who tried it out did not like it they went back to job but giving 6 months 12 months 2 years to try that out is worth it and what's the worst case you can go back right and there are few things which we can do like having a financial uh, financial cushion to sustain you so that you don't get stressed there um 
having uh, working at a company to learn some of the basics before we do things right certain preparations we can do uh, but again it's it's we don't know like what will come out of it right you can be successful you can fail uh, you can be uh, you might like it you might not like it but what i say is if you, if you don't try you will never know so i think everybody should at least try it give a year or two and see whether uh, that works for them right uh, and and then like again so it's it's probably possible after a few years of working it might uh, position you to do that it's like taking a year of sabbatical exit so uh, yeah so i think i think i am an example like to say anybody can be an entrepreneur like i am probably the remotest person possible if you look at uh, entrepreneur template but uh, and i know a lot of people like me too. Uh, so so yeah that's 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 what i would say that uh, it's not a special breed anyone anyone can become an entrepreneur give it a go exactly well this has been a, a fantastic interview and there i think is a, an enormous amount of insight uh, that you provided so thank you very much uh, sajad for for being the number one uh, podcast interviewee it's uh, an inspiring story and we wish you all the best with shopper thanks thanks joe thanks Just, for having me yeah sorry quickly before uh, before we end this um where can people find out more about you and uh shopper i'll put the details in the description below sure i think i think anybody can re uh, reach out to me through emails yeah it's uh, sujay@gmail.com and uh, i think if any anything you want i can probably point to you uh, at the right place where you can get any, any information and yeah i also i am on twitter like if you want to follow uh i keep sharing my learnings yeah that's fantastic thank you very much sujay hey cool thank you